sunshine and the beautiful warm weather as compared to January, which was not beautiful warm weather. But let's stand and sing and worship God together. Is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you offer me. And as God takes our minds and transforms it, brings out purity and righteousness, um, we hopefully become a, a sanctuary, um, pure and holy. So that's the next one we're going to sing. We'll sing it twice, Cam.
to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. Thank you. Good morning. And welcome to church this morning. If you've got a copy of your bulletin and you would like to read the call to worship with me this morning, it's from Psalm 108 verses 3 and 4. And let's read together. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the people, and I will sing praises to thee among the nations, for thy loving kindness is great above the heavens, and thy truth reaches to the skies. If you'd like to bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beautiful weather outside. We thank you that we have a building that we can meet in. And we thank you that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can meet with. We thank you that we have a pastor who can teach us your word. We pray that your word would speak to us this morning. And we just pray that our worship to you would be pleasing. And we thank you for this again in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'll have our scripture reading by Keith. So the scripture reading is Psalm 119, verse 9 to 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimonies I delight as much as in the riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word.
Let's, uh, there we go. Lord God, we want to just thank you for the time we can be together as your people, your children. And uh, Lord, as we focus now on this passage of scripture that was just read, Lord, please help us to just open our minds to what it is you are saying to us. Pray that the songs we've already sung in worship of you would have brought us to that place of openness. And Lord, help me to speak your word as it should be spoken, so that you could take your word and feed us through it this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. During a job interview, um, the applicant was asked, why were you discharged from your last position? And he replied, I was overly ambitious. I wanted to take my work home with me. So the next question was, who was your employer? And the answer was uh, First National Bank. <laughs> well, you know, you can call it ambition if you want, but stealing is still stealing. <laughs> We're going to be talking today about integrity and purity. I couldn't find a lot of jokes about the subject, but I did find some pretty amazing stories about people with integrity that I found inspirational. So I'll tell you a couple of them. There was a young Christian man in a southern university. He made the football team as a starting split end. Remember back in the days when football teams had that position called a split end? <laughs> they don't have that position anymore. They've changed it a bit, but... He was a split end, starting split end. But a fine Christian young man had a deep desire that he would be a man of integrity and honesty before his God. That was his constant prayer. The time came when the rival team arrived for the homecoming game, and the game went on, and it was a crucial moment in the game. And this next play, this young Christian man ran his route, Went into the end zone, the quarterback threw him the pass, got it a bit low. Uh, he dove for the ball, landed on it, referee standing there, threw his arms in the air, touchdown, he says. But this young man knew the truth. He knew he hadn't caught the ball. He had trapped it. And the fans were cheering, he was the hero of the game, it was a big victory, but or would have been a big victory, but he walked to the referee and shook his head and said, wait a minute, it wasn't a catch, I, I trapped it. And the referee canceled the touchdown and they lost the game. Integrity. He stood alone against a team that would have said, what did it matter? It's the ref's job to make the call, not your job. He had also had a stadium full of fans that were disappointed. But like he said, I cannot take the credit, I didn't catch it. Integrity and purity. Another story. After his Sunday message, the pastor of a church in London regularly uh, got on the trolley on Monday morning to uh, go back to his study downtown. And one particular Monday, he got on the trolley, he paid his fare. The trolley operator, driver, gave him his change. And he sat down and he began looking at his change. And he counted it a few times and realized there's a mistake here. Uh, 
given him too much change. And so the thoughts started going through his head, and you can imagine the irrationalization that possibly went through his mind. Isn't it wonderful how God provides? He could have thought. Financially, things were getting a little tight for him that week, but this little extra would be just what he needed. And so he wrestled with himself all the way down that trolley trail that led to his office. And finally came to the stop, and he got up and realized he couldn't keep the money. Uh, so he walked up to the trolley driver and said, Here, you made a mistake. You gave me too much change. And the trolley driver said, No, it was no mistake. You see, I was in your church last night when you spoke on honesty, and I thought I'd put you to the test. <laughs> so hard as it is, though, integrity always does pay off in the end. But it is hard sometimes, isn't it? As the Bible teaches very clearly, we all have inherited a sin nature. Uh, we all have that bent in us towards sin. Now, as Christians, we have the Spirit of God in us who gives us the power to be victorious over sin, but that sin nature is still there, and we all struggle with it. Every Christian knows only too well the struggle for personal purity, the struggle with sin. Many times it's a very personal and private struggle that we have. But every Christian knows the struggle. How can a Christian gain victory and sustain that lifestyle of purity? For the Sundays of summer that I am here, we'll be looking at some selected passages out of Psalm 119. We won't look at all of them by any means. We'll look at a selection of them. Two Sundays ago, we started this psalm, looking at first eight verses of Psalm 119. And then last week, of course, we took a bit of a break. We focused on God's word to fathers, and because it was Father's Day, so today we're back again to this psalm. And as I said two weeks ago, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is just an amazing piece of Hebrew literature, besides being the inspired word of God. It's a poem. It's an acrostic. It's a series of stanzas. Each stanza eight verses long. There's one stanza for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And all eight verses in each stanza begin with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you look, if you know ancient Hebrew, you can read this past psalm in the ancient Hebrew language, you'd see that. All eight verses in any stanza, they all begin with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So all eight verses of the first stanza, that's verses 1 through 8, they all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Next stanza, verses 9 through 16, they all begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And going on all the way right through the entire psalm. There are 22 letters in the ancient Hebrew alphabet, so that gives us the 176 verses that we have in this psalm. The theme of it all is the Word of God. How vital the Word of God is to every area of life and how relevant it is and how much we need it to be the people that, of God that we need to be and how we need to have that deep appreciation for the Word of God. So two weeks ago, we looked at that first eight-verse stanza, that's verses one through eight, and we saw how the Bible is a life guide for us. This week, as we go on, we'll see a particular area of life in which the Bible is a life guide for us as we look at that next stanza, which is verses 9 through 16. And it is in this area of purity and integrity. 
And it's kind of wrapped up in how we approach God's Word. So let's dig in. We need to realize that a correct approach to God's Word is necessary to a life of purity. And we can't approach God's Word correctly by having the attitudes toward God's Word that are exemplified here in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Four attitudes that I see coming out here that I want to look at. So number one, God's Word needs to be treasured in our hearts. God's Word needs to be treasured in our hearts. Now, as I told you two weeks ago, a very common literary device of Hebrew poetry is to put the main point or the main message right in the middle of the poem. Uh, and then the first part of the poem kind of leads up to it. And then the last part kind of expounds it or gives some results or some implications or, or the writer's response to that main message. And that's what we have again here in this, first, in this stanza, this eight-verse stanza. Uh, a little different than the way we think in our modern Western world. Uh, we think in terms of a first step and a second step and a third step, and that leads us to the conclusion. That's kind of how we think. But uh, they, that's not the, how they put it together in ancient Hebrew poetry. So for, for that reason, we're not going to go through this section in the order that it's written, that it's written here. We're going to do some, some jumping around in these eight verses. Verse 11 is the main message of the poem. Verse 11. So let's read it. It says, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. The psalmist writes that he had treasured God's word in his heart for the express reason that he wouldn't sin. God's word, if it's treasured in his heart, would keep him from sin. A particular interest is that word treasured. Most of you who have memorized this verse from the old King James Version, you know that it's translated hid. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. That's the old King James Version. The Hebrew word, it means to hide, to treasure, or to store up. So it carries with it the idea that, that you have something that is really valuable, and because you value that something, you, you want to keep it safe. So you treasure it. And so because you value it and it's a treasure to you, you keep it locked up in a place that is safe, that no one can take it from you. That's the idea behind this. This Hebrew word that's translated treasure or hid. And that's the attitude we're supposed to have toward God's word. It's extremely valuable. It's a treasure. And we need to treat it like a treasure. Because it is a treasure, we need then to hide it away. So that no one can take it from us. Keep it safe. Well, <coughs> excuse me. There's only one place where we can hide it so that no one can take it from us. And that, of course, is... In our hearts. It's in our hearts. So that is what the saying. That we need to get God's word into our hearts. And we need to treat it like a treasure. And get it, get it into our hearts where no one can ever take it from us. We need to read it a lot. So we know what it says. It's always a good idea to commit lots of it to memory. Memorize. Lots of it. Used to be a lot more focused on memorization <laughs> than there is now, but uh, most Sunday school programs and camping programs and and uh, yeah, they, they mem Bible memorization is a big part of, of what they did, and we still do that in our Bible Blast program. We still have kids 
memorizing verses. And that's a good thing. That's a good way to get it into our hearts. I know my dad, he at one point, I can't remember how old I was, but I was riding on the school bus that he drove. <laughs> and, uh, and he had decided he would commit himself to a program of memorization. He had Bible verses written on little cards. He carried them in his pocket. And I remember sometimes just as we were driving, riding to school, driving the bus, it was a good hour drive or maybe more. All of a sudden you'd see, look up and you'd see Dad, he's kind of fumbling in his vest pocket and looking out a, looking at his cards of Bible verses. He was memorizing and reciting in his head these Bible verses. He had committed himself to that program of Bible memorization. I don't think they had distracted driving laws back, <laughs> back then. That was too much of a concern for people. But, but that's, a good, that's, that's one good way to get God's word into your heart. Read it lots. Commit it to memory. If we do that, no one can ever take it from us. That treasure, God's word, is always there in our hearts. And the psalmist says, if God's word is treasured in our hearts, it keeps us from sin. That is key to keep us in that place of personal purity and integrity. You see, ultimately, our behavior flows out of our belief. What our core beliefs are. Ultimately, that is what will guide your behavior. What your core beliefs are. And if God's word is treasured in our hearts, that will be the core of our belief system. And ultimately, that will guide our behavior. So the first attitude we see here is this attitude that God's word needs to be treasured. Treasured, hid in our hearts. Secondly, God's word needs to be meditated on till we understand. God's word needs to be meditated on till we understand. That's verse 15. So let's read verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. And that's another important attitude we need to have towards God's word. To do the work needed to understand what it means. The first step, of course, is knowing what it says and getting it inside of us and making it a part of us. The next step, and just as important, is that we need to come to an understanding of what it means. That's what meditating is all about. We can know what the Bible says quite well. We can memorize big portions of it. We can know what each book is about. We can know what a particular chapter talks about. And that's all important. That's the first step. But it does no good if it stays there. The next step is to meditate on it till you come to an understanding of what it means. And that takes a bit of work and effort. You have to consider the time and place and context in which it was originally written to catch the, what the message was. And then you have to come to an understanding of what that means in our time and place. And then one step further, you need to come to an understanding of what God is saying to you personally, given your circumstances and issues through that particular passage. That's what that word meditate is all about. And that's another attitude we need to have in approaching God's word. It needs to be meditated on till we understand what it means. Thirdly, God's word needs to be rejoiced over so we keep coming back. God's word needs to be rejoiced over so we keep coming back. And I'm looking here at the verse just before and the verse just after the one we read. So verse 14 and 16. 
the kind of bookends for this message of meditating. Verse 14 says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. The psalmist says that he had rejoiced in God's word as much as in all riches. Getting into God's word, treasuring it, meditate on it, that brought him as much joy as rejoicing and rejoicing as all riches. The opportunity of getting into God's word caused him as much rejoicing as winning the 649 would. <laughs> or something like that. Think about that for a while. Verse 14 is written in the past tense. I have rejoiced. And then verse 16, that's the present tense. I shall delight. I have rejoiced. I shall delight. I'm going to make it a point to delight in God's word and rejoice over it. Kind of like a commitment. And that's the third attitude we need to have in approaching God's word. We need to rejoice over it. We need to delight in it. The opportunity to get into the Bible, to get into God's word, should be something that we anticipate with this kind of attitude. Why is that? Because if we have that kind of attitude, it keeps us coming back. It keeps us coming back to it. Think about it. What do you really rejoice over? What do you delight in? I asked myself that question as I was preparing this. What do I rejoice over? What do I delight in? Being at the Pleasant Land? Watching football? Especially the riders? Haven't been able to do that over a year, so it's getting kind of antsy for that season to start. Hunting? Reading westerns? Doing stuff with my friends? You know, yeah, those are things I delight in. Those are things I enjoy. Those are things I, 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 I rejoice over doing those kind of things. I delight in those things. And do you know what? I keep coming back to those things. Over and over again, I keep going back there. It, it never seems to get old. I rejoice in them. I delight in them. And because of that, I keep coming back to them. And that's the attitude toward the word of God that we should have. It's a delight to get into. To read it and study it and meditate on it. In fact, I'll make it a point to delight in reading and studying God's word. I'll rejoice over it. If I have that attitude, I'll keep coming back to it over and over again. It'll never get old. A lady named Jana Jones told the following story about her and her daughter. She related, during the day I like to take a few moments to unwind by reading the Bible. After seeing me do this for several years, my young little daughter, four-year-old daughter, became concerned. And she said, Mom, aren't you ever going to get finished reading that book? <laughs> but you see, if you delight in it, you keep coming back. You keep coming back over and over again. It never gets old. So that's the third attitude. Needs to be rejoiced over and delighted in. And then fourthly and finally, God's word needs to be obeyed so we can sustain a lifestyle of purity. 
God's word needs to be obeyed so we can sustain a lifestyle of purity. And that's what it all comes down to. When we approach God's word with these attitudes, there's really only one thing left, and that's simply to obey it, just to do it. So back to the beginning of this section, verse 9 and 10. It's what it's all about, purity. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. In our struggle with victory over sin, in our desire to maintain or sustain a lifestyle of purity, it all comes down to this. Keeping our ways or our lifestyle consistent with the teachings of God's word. In other words, obedience. And the reason we're looking at this last is because the others have to come first if we're going to obey God's word. We first need to have that attitude that God's word is a treasure that we need to hide in our hearts. Then we have to have this attitude of meditation. I'm going to think about what the Bible says and study it and turn it over until I understand what it means. And then we have to have that attitude of rejoicing in God's word and delighting in it so we keep coming back to it over and over again so that it never gets old. And that's when we can really obey it. That's when we can truly align our lives with the teachings of God's word. So, how can you and I sustain a lifestyle of purity and integrity before God? The key is God's word. Obeying it. Keeping our life consistent with the teachings of the Bible. And that's the fourth attitude taught in this passage that we need to approach God's word with. That attitude of obedience. I'm going to find out what it says I'm going to figure out what it means. I'm going to make it my joy and delight. So I keep coming back to it. All with the idea that I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to align my life with God's, what, what God's word teaches. If you don't have that attitude of obedience, then what's the point? <laughs> and you probably aren't very interested in personal purity and integrity anyway. <laughs> So we need to approach God's word with an attitude of obedience so we can sustain a lifestyle of purity. So therefore we see from this passage the, the attitudes that we need to approach God's word with so we can live a life of personal purity. They are number one, God's word needs to be treasured in our hearts. Number two, God's word needs to be meditated on until we understand what it means. Thirdly, God's word needs to be rejoiced over. Excuse me, so... We keep coming back, and then fourthly, God's word needs to be obeyed so we can sustain a lifestyle of purity. So, time to make it personal. Are you struggling with personal purity and integrity? If yes, start with this question. What has my attitude toward God's word been? Has it been anywhere close to what we saw exemplified and taught by the psalmist in this passage? And if not, maybe this is where we need to start in getting back on track to personal purity. God's word holds the key, but our attitude toward God's word will determine if we find the key and use it or not. Let's have our time of silence.
Amen. Bonnie, please. Between Cam and I, we kind of rewrote a couple songs to become a theme song for this um, series of messages. So it's raw. I finished it this morning. Um, but by the end of summer, hopefully we get it good. And I think, I think the words are worth memorizing for sure. Uh, so let's stand and sing together.
Thank you for your singing. 